International Women's Day. We're speaking with some of the women that we have on the show frequently because they're they're just so awesome. And uh, our next guest certainly fits that bill. It's Kelly Keene, um, who is... Kelly, you've got a new title. I'm hearing from my producers here. You've you've uh, continued to grow and evolve. What do I need? You are the founder of Money Wise Workplaces now. Congrats. Oh, thanks, Shay. Yeah, we're really excited about uh, rolling this out, actually, as we speak to employers and employees across Canada. So thank you, my friend. Tell, tell us a bit about it. What is, what is Money Wise Workplaces? Is it like a, a mentoring or an education program? What is it? Yeah, so it's an online platform. Right now, we've got 50 video-based modules, so it's a learn-as-you-go for employees, and it's complemented with live events and timely um, monthly workshops, uh, uh, webinars, things of that sort. So, yeah, we really, you know, you know, I've been, it's been my mission for people to feel good about money. Yeah. I've written books, I, I do keynotes, and but it's it always stops at that. So this is... This allows us to really get into employees' lives over a you know a year or two year period and really help nudge them to actually make the changes, consume the financial education, but actually change their lives. So we you know we estimate that people that that go through our content will save five to ten thousand dollars in just one year. So we're excited what? about it. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, um, I, this is perfect timing because one of the things I want to talk to you about is the fact I don't know how long I've known you, Kelly. It, it goes back longer than either of us would like to remember i'm pretty sure <laughs> oh um, yeah but for, i i've always marveled at how you you're, you're fiercely independent you've gone you've done this all on your own like lots of people work with companies and no this has been kelly keen and kelly keen driven right from day one why did you decide to do that and how scary was it when you decided i'm going to build this into what it's become now Oh my gosh, you are so kind. And it's because of people like you, Shay, and so many other media friends, uh, Jalen, Daryl McIntyre, right, that have supported me all along the way. Um, well, I was in the financial industry for 12 years. I got very lucky very early on to be with one of Canada's largest banks. Um, and I saw firsthand, wow, some people that like you would think were really wealthy would come across my desk and they weren't, they were millions of dollars in debt. <laughs> or I remember, you know, being out at one of my branches was I had 28 branches all around the city. Actually, one of my wealthiest branches was over in Beverly. And I remember going to one woman's uh, house and she was like renewing $10 million of GICs and her house couldn't wow. have been worth more than $40,000 <laughs> or, you know, some farmer in Leduc and he had a hundred million dollars in GICs. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And, you know, just a long story short was I was raised by a single mom looking after, you know, my brothers and I to say that money was scarce was an understatement, but I was raised, but I also witnessed how it really wealthy uncle Shay. Yeah. So, you know, we were poor, um, but I saw what it was like to have money and the confidence that my uncles had and how they talked about different things. So, uh, yeah, after my 12 years in the financial industry, I was like, you know, my clients are messed up about money. I was messed up about money because it's such a broad topic, it you is. know, even if you have it, it doesn't mean you don't have money problems. So yeah, 18 years ago, I, I left the financial industry and became an educator writing books and all kinds of different things. So, um, yeah, it's just been my passion and I stay up at night. Honestly, <laughs> like it keeps me up at night. Like how do I move the needle with people to pay attention, to do what they need to do? And most importantly, 
take away the embarrassment and the shame that comes with not having enough money. And, and I mean, I think that's sort of the message that we you always bring whenever we talk is sort of like, hey, listen, it, it, just have the conversation. You can't pretend it away. Right. You can't ignore it. You're going to have to deal with it. So let's get on with it. Um, the world of finance. I was, I was thinking about this yesterday in preparation for speaking with you. And I was thinking about, okay, who have I talked to on TV and radio over the years? And we go and check in on the markets or business. It's always a dude. It's always a dude, Kelly, except right. for you, right? I mean, you're living in a world that I think is still in a lot of ways male dominated. How challenging has that been over the last 18 years? Yeah, I mean, it's changing. I mean, certainly in Toronto, a lot of my portfolio manager friends are women, but uh, it's still changing very slowly. I think the stats are around 30% of those in the financial industry are women, okay. especially when you get to the higher echelon of like portfolio managers, economists. And and then the thing is, Shay, once they do get into the financial industry, they very quickly leave. <laughs> so it uh, doesn't have very good numbers. For supporting Why? women. Is, is it um, the climate? Is it the, just, it's not a pleasant place to be or what? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it too is once women get in there, they see that there aren't a lot of women. They see that there isn't support for it. And, and anecdotally, a lot of the women I do know in the industry tend to then, you know, take on a lot of uh, attributes of their, their male colleagues. It, it gets very male. So it is very tough for a woman to get in there. Um, and I mean, it's not as tough as you think. And, and it's, it's very broad too, right? Like if yeah. you're at a bank, it's very different than if you're at an investment house and all that type of stuff. But I think too, just a lot of education, the financial industry needs to do a better job at letting women peek in to see that it's not as aggressive as they think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't moved much since, since I entered the business 25 years ago. Yeah, and I mean, it's through the work of people like you that it will. Uh, and I know part of, you know, I, like I often joke that I, I'm more of the woman in my relationship because, hmm. and we, if you take a look at finances, like I, I can, I don't even, I, I wouldn't even know how to pay a bill. Like, I mean, for goodness sake, I, I, I'm so fortunate to have a wife who takes care of all that stuff, but that's not typically how it works, right? And that's part of your work is to try and empower women to be more in charge of the finances, right? I think it's still, yeah. if there's one thing, I mean, there are things that still sort of fall to, you know, the old archaic way of thinking. That's one of them, household finances, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and there's so many different camps. So we don't want to paint broad strokes, of course, because sure. there's, you know, there's always the the assumption that women are less risky with their investments, for example. But there was this cool UK study over several years. I think it was like 2,300 investors where women actually outperformed men by 1.8% because they actually traded less. They were more thoughtful. So it's not that they're risk adverse, but they just are more thoughtful with their trades. Now, there's other camps of women that I talked to in my last book was kind of specifically for where, you know, my research revealed that 42% of female breadwinners in Canada, these are bread they're the ones that are earning the income, uh, are still deferring to their spouse on money management. And I'm like, no, the, like money is like oxygen. It is too important to let anyone else control its supply. So regardless if you're the breadwinner or not, if you're the female or not, if you are earning anything because maybe you're at home looking after the kids or your parents or something of that sort, you still need to step up to the table to know what's going on with the family finances. And yeah. I know it's hard. And I know one, you know, one person usually does it. Now, Shay, the person who's doing it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the one that is the breadwinner or has the income. So what does that mean? Well, that means at the end of the month, if there isn't enough money, 
if there's debt stress, if there's all that kind of thing going on, they also are, are shouldering that all on their own. So it's so important that if you're in a relationship that even, you know, once a month, once a quarter, you come together. Um, because also if that person dies or divorces you, you're, you're left on your own. So, I mean, uh, like a big one for especially a lot of older women and some men I'm seeing too, like, for example, think they have their own credit card because it has a unique number and it has a unique pin, but actually <laughs> it's a supplementary right. card yeah. on their spouse's account that they opened up 20 years ago and they don't realize they're not building any credit in their name. And, and if that person divorces or leaves them or passes away, you know, they they have nothing. And I hear these horror stories from people. So it's just like little things like that. Like, oh, yeah, maybe you should get a $500 limit credit card and start using it and building credit in your name. Very important. And you've written a book on exactly how to go about doing that, right? Yeah, uh, that, that was the last book, uh, <laughs> Rich Girl, Broke Girl. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and for people that can't afford it, all of my books are, are available at the library for free. Um, yeah. And I mean, everything is there that I want you to know about. So. Excellent. Hey, Kelly, while well, I've got you, um, Bank Canada rate comes out today. They're holding. I think where everybody's mm-hmm. going to get a chance to catch their breath a little bit here. But boy, it's been a tough go oh. for the last year. So, I mean, what are you hearing from people and what are you telling people who are just barely managing to hang on right now? Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, uh, my friends over at Lowest Rates, they kind of follow all of this and their numbers say that if you had a line of credit or a variable mortgage, it's gone up 59%. Since last year, I mean, people were barely hanging on before. So, you know, tough conversations. And I mean, what you need to do if you're a mortgage holder, you've really got to talk to your bank, dig into your um, your mortgage. I know it's not perfect, but let's say skipping a payment. You're allowed to skip one payment per year on your mortgage without penalty. Yes, that means you're going to pay more interest. Mm -hmm. Yes, that means you're going to pay it for longer. But if that one payment helps your family kind of get, you know, a little bit of a breathing room. And I mean, we're hearing all these stats that if interest rates keep going up, people are going to have to sell their house. Please check into everything first before you just apathetically say that you can't afford it. You know, there's always something you can do, maybe extending out your amortization. Again, I know not perfect, but if it gets you through this really tough environment, that's the most important thing because you also don't want to sell at a loss either, right? So, you know, hard conversation, talk to your bank, talk to your mortgage professional. And if you're in a subprime mortgage, you are in a mortgage that you got from a mortgage broker or someone else and it's not a big bank, oh my God, Shay, you have got to be on top of those payments because they can foreclose and do things that the big banks can't. So please, yeah, during times of financial stress, pull those documents out. Maybe it's better to make payment arrangements with your utility company or, or free up cash with your credit card company, what have you, and not miss that mortgage payment. So you've got to know in a time of crisis, what payments can you miss? What can you extend out? Where are you vulnerable? Uh, and th- those people aren't going to tell you. You have to do that research on your own. And the thing is, Kelly, and as we said earlier, this is always the message. You, you, you've got to have the conversations. I know you, you don't want to. You'd like to just yeah. ignore it, but that won't fix it. You've actually got to make the calls. You've got to sit down. You've got to say, I need some help here. That's that's step one. Yeah, and you know what? It's usually better than you think. I've, I've talked so many people through contacting Revenue Canada because they owe money, and they, they get off the call, and they're like, wow, they were actually nice. And it's like, 
generally speaking, generally speaking, nobody wants to come after you and collect because they know their chances are slim. Nobody right. even answers their phone anymore. So, <laughs> so if you are actually proactively calling them saying, hey, you need help, what can be done here? You're going to be pleasantly surprised. You're going to get help. And if you don't get the answer you want, call back a second time because you're probably talking to a call center you know, also like Monday to Friday, call between nine and five Eastern Standard Time. Don't make a call at eight o'clock at night Mountain Time where you're going to get, yeah. you know, less senior people like call, you know, make the call. And uh, like it's always going to be better than you remaining silent and just hoping your creditor is going to like exactly. whatever. Well, that's never going to go. Yeah, well. It's not yeah. going to go away. <laughs> exactly. No. no. Kelly, as always, wonderful advice. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.